The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. You can join us live Saturday nights at 6 p.m., Sunday mornings at 9, 10.30, or 12, or you can join us online at cityrev.org. In uh, our family room, we have two vases that there are two blue vases. They both sit on one of our coffee tables in the family room. And um, that is a really a big risk because Rebecca and I have three small children, seven, five, and one. And so any vases anywhere on the premises is a huge risk. In fact, when I say that we have two vases, I should clarify, we had two vases. There was uh, one vase and then another vase, and several months ago, that other vase got tipped over and it cracked into two pieces. And I remember I got home later that evening and um, the vase was in two pieces on the counter and the kids came up and they, you know, were, you know, they, they felt really bad. They're like, Daddy, we, we, we knocked over the vase and it broke. And they said, Daddy, can you glue it? And that last phrase there, I feel like I hear that a lot in our household. Daddy, can you glue it? I, feel, I just hear that all the time. It's like, Daddy, I broke my toy. Can you, can you glue it? Daddy, I broke this. Can you glue it? I hear, Daddy, can you glue it? A lot. And this time it was a vase. Daddy, can you glue it? I said, well, look, it looks like it's primarily two pieces. And so let me see what I can do. And so I took out you know, some glue and I set it on overnight at, on the counter. And sure enough, by the next day, it was pretty much okay. There's a chip here or there, but it could pass. And most people who, if you came through our family room, you wouldn't have even been able to tell that there was a crack there. So it was great until about three weeks ago. And this time I'm in the other room and I hear a crash that sounds more like an explosion. And this time the vase doesn't just tip over, it falls all the way off of the side table onto the floor and it explodes into like a bazillion pieces. I mean, it's almost vaporized, okay? And it's like the largest piece might be the size of a dime, okay? And there's this, I'm like standing over this and, my, and two, the two older kids are kind of looking over the side of the couch at it, their eyes are wide they feel really bad and we're looking down at this basically a pile of dust and they say daddy can you glue it and I said if daddy took a millennium daddy would not be able to glue it okay and if I did successfully glue it it would be more glue than glass at the other end this vase is done, okay? It's so shattered, it's so fractured, it's in so many broken pieces, we just swept it up and threw it away, and now we have one vase on the coffee table. And you know what? Hey, we're fine with one vase. One vase will do. Now, I I was thinking back about that because I feel like right now, as as I think about the state that our society is in, I don't know about you, but as I think about the hurt, the brokenness, the anger, the way things are discussed on social media, the way things are discussed, it just seems like in recent memory there has not been a season that's more fractured, combative, broken than right now. 
And I look at all these broken pieces. I mean, just almost any way you look at like whatever is being discussed, it just seems like it's so combative, so angry, so polarized, so broken, so fractured. It's almost like any way you look at it, it's like, man, I, I want to pray. Like, Daddy, can you glue this? And you know, the reality is there is one. There's only one. And the good news is he did not say, behold, I can glue it all back together. What he actually said was, behold, I make all things new. And the good news is our Savior, Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter how broken things are, how fractured things are, how divided things can be. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, has the power to take the broken pieces and not just glue them back together, but he has the power to make all things new again. Hey, is that good news, church? Is that good news as we think about that today? And so what we're talking about through this series called Undivided is in a moment in our in our nation's history, in our city's history, in our region's history, where the backdrop seems so fractured, we as a church, a City Rev Church, we as the church here in South Florida want to demonstrate something to our society that is so rare and uncommon, something they're starving and thirsting and longing for, a miracle that only Jesus Christ can accomplish and has accomplished among his people. And that's the miracle of unity. Right now, this series, Undivided, is a series that churches all across South Florida are doing together, and we're privileged to be part of that work. And so here in part one, we're going to take a look at Ephesians chapter two. If you have a Bible or Bible app, I want to encourage you to open up to Ephesians chapter two. It's in the New Testament. We're going to start in verse 13. Ephesians chapter two, starting in verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, who has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one man in place of the two, so making peace. Now just pause with me there for a second. Ephesians is one of the richest, deepest, most profound books in the entire Bible. In fact, I once heard it described as the Grand Canyon of Scripture. I mean, it is so rich, so powerful, so beautiful. And just in those few short verses, there is so much in that text. We could spend weeks, probably months or longer, just on those few verses. But let me just draw out a couple things before we continue on. The first is that all the way back to the first days of the Christian church, the first days where people were following the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the, the first days of genuine, true Christianity. 
there was something that really, I mean, it's like the planet had never seen before with that group of people. And, and part of it was that those people defied all categories. It was so many different types of people coming around the person of Jesus, the Messiah. Previous to that, I mean, most religions and most forms of worship were divided by either people groups or nations or classes. So you'd have like the Egyptians have their gods and the Romans have their gods and the Greeks have their gods. And then even within that, you've got the people of Athens have the temple to this one particular god. The people of Ephesus have a temple to this particular god. And even in the ancient Near East, you have these different people groups like the Moabites and they have a particular god. And then the, the, the people in ancient Syria, they had a particular god. And so it was kind of divided by where you lived and what your nationality was and what people group you were from. And the way you worship was different depending on what class you were within the society. And typically the, the religions were kind of broken down and the forms of worship were kind of broken down in, in, in different types of categories like that, depending on, uh, on where you were born and, and where you lived and those kinds of things. But in that first generation, it just, the, the message of Jesus Christ and what he came to accomplish for humanity so spread like wildfire through the cities of the ancient world that they marveled. I mean, it's right there in the Bible. They're like, it's amazing what has happened with these followers. You've got Jews and Gentiles. You've got, you've got people who are enslaved, people who are free. You've got people who are wealthy, people who are poor. You've got all different types of people coming together following Jesus. And here in this text, he, he says he's highlighting that dynamic. And what he says is he says all of these different types and categories of people, he's taken these, these different groups and it's like he's made them into one person. It's like he's made them one and he uses this imagery of like one person. In fact, in a few verses, he'll use a, a, an illustration for the oneness that that these people had, even though they came from all different types of backgrounds. He says it's like they became like one body. And he'll, he'll talk about that in a few verses, and it's talked about all throughout the New Testament. These followers of Christ were together as one body. Now, I, I don't know if um, you've ever had the experience where you pulled out your back. You ever had that experience where you, you pulled out your back? And I remember there was this one time that, man, I pulled my back out so bad like I had to, like, I was like, I was laying down like for a long time, like I couldn't move. And I wish that I could tell you I was doing something, you know, just so incredible, you know, like I was saving a small child from a mountain lion or like, or even that I was like, I was helping my friend move or something like that. But the honest truth was I sneezed weird. That's the only thing that happened. I was looking over my shoulder, talking to my friend. I sneezed this way, and there was one little muscle that just seized in my back. I could barely move. I crawled over to the nearest couch. I was laying there. I couldn't move, and I'm thinking, I, I'm immobile because I sneezed. And then I'm thinking, I probably need to hit the gym sometime, okay? That's probably not a very good statement about my, my muscle structure, okay? And so I was laid out for days because I sneezed weird, okay? There's something about seizing one little muscle in your back that it affects the entire rest of your body, doesn't it? See, that's, the, that's how unified the body is. 
One little piece over here hurts, the entire rest of the body is compensating for it. One little part of the body hurts over here, the entire rest of the body feels it. I mean, think of how much a body works together. And he says to this ancient city of Ephesus, to this church filled with all different types of people, this is one of the largest, most influential cities in all of antiquity. All different types of nationalities are in this city. All different types of, of backgrounds. All different types of statuses and classes. All different types, and they've all come together around the person of Jesus. And he says, this is how deeply he's unified you. He's made you into one body. Out of many, he's made you one now, how did Jesus do this incredible miracle that had pretty much never been seen before? Well, look what he says next. He explains how he did it in verse 16 and really what it cost. And might reconcile us both to God in one body, there's that phrase, in one body through the cross, thereby, what's that word right there? What's that word right there? Killing. killing. Thereby killing the hostility. What an interesting phrase. Thereby killing the hostility, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to one spirit to the Father. What he talks about here is through the cross, through his death on the cross, he has reconciled us to God. And they say, okay, how has he reconciled us to God? I mean, is there a broken relationship with God? And maybe you say, look, I think, I'm, I think I'm pretty good with God. I mean, like, I don't know that we're like best friends, but like, I think I'm pretty good with God. We've got a good thing going. I think he understands I'm doing the best I can. I'm not perfect, but... I'm a pretty good person, and, you know, I, I'm not that bad. I, I mean, what needs to be reconciled? I think we're on good terms. Well, what this says is actually there was a need to reconcile us and to bring peace because what the Bible says is God is so unbelievably, perfectly holy that one sinful imperfection in my life means that I can't even stand in his presence. In fact, that sin is really a, an act of rebellion against an almighty, infinite God and deserves an infinite punishment. In other words, where every single human stands in relationship to God is as an enemy in need of reconciliation. You say, man, are you sure the Bible says that? Because I'm pretty sure most people are. I mean, if you asked me, I'd say most people are, are basically good. Actually, the Bible says the exact opposite. It says that every single one of us has sin in our hearts. We're prideful. We're selfish. We're, we covet. We're greedy. We, we, each one of us have sin in our hearts and deserves punishment from God. Say, so, man, I thought the Bible was uplifting and inspiring. You're saying the Bible says that every single person is evil? Yes, that's exactly what the Bible says, but it is 
inspiring. It's more than inspiring. It's transforming. You just, that's the bad news. You have to hear the good news. We're all in need of being reconciled to God. There is no fundamentally good person out there in comparison to God. And so we need to be reconciled to God. And so Jesus Christ came down to earth. It is God in the flesh. And he reconciled us to God by dying on the cross. It's God in the flesh dying on the cross. And he takes all of our punishment that we deserve and he exhausts it on Jesus on the cross, his blood that he shed on the cross reconciles us to God by washing us clean. Jesus gets the punishment. We get his perfection placed on us and accounted towards us. You say, well, I I don't feel like I'm perfect. No, he, he counts it towards us and then this is what he does. He has washed us so clean that not only is he no longer away from us, he accepts us and he goes further. He actually comes inside of us. The Spirit of God dwells inside of us, transforming us from the inside out. That's what he said right here. Indwelling in us is the Spirit of God inside of us. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it it describes us as temples, like our bodies are temples. Maybe you've heard the phrase before, my body is a temple. That comes from the Bible. And it's talking about something so much more profound than living a healthy lifestyle. It's describing this incredible dynamic that when Jesus washes us clean by his death on the cross, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us, the presence of God inside of us like a temple. And he's changing us from the inside out. Okay, he reconciles us to God. He dwells inside of us. And then this is what he's doing. Because he's taking, all, taking those of us, when, when you, it's offered, that reconciliation is offered for free. We put our faith in the work that Jesus did. And if you do that, he's reconciling us to God. And as he's reconciling all of us to God and putting the same, his same spirit in all of us, it actually changes something about our relationship to each other. We're all drawn to him. And now the most profound thing about our life, the the most foundational part of us that we're reconciled to our creator and that matters for eternity and the spirit of God is living inside of us. We all in unify, those of us who are gathered around the person of Jesus, have something unified about us that is so much more profound than the things that are different about us. And not only that, but it's the same spirit in each one of us. He says that's the level of what he's talking about. And and I had us read out loud that word killed because what was the cost of that type of unity? It's such an interesting way it put it. It says basically the killing of Jesus killed the hostility among us. When Jesus died, that went away, those divisions. Because we're drawn together towards God. We have the same spirit. And the thing that's fundamentally the same about us is more profound than anything that makes us different. He's made us one body. Now, this this illustration of body is just one of the metaphors in here for talking about our unity. There's actually three other ones, and I want to just finish out reading through this section. We're going to pick it up in verse 19, and I want you to watch for these other three metaphors. He already says we're one together as a body. 
Let's look what else he says, verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are, here's number, we've talked about we're a body, here's number two, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, and here's, num- and here's number three, and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, okay, here's, here's number four, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Profound metaphors right here. He says four different things. He says we're a body. He says we're a family. We're one household. We're a people. We're fellow citizens. And we together become a temple. So he says, he says we're a body. We talked about that. That's an incredible type of unity that we are. But then the second thing is he says we are together in one household. We're a family. I'll never forget a, um, on one of the trips we took. Um, every few years we take a, a study trip over to Israel and um, offer that as a church. In fact, we had one scheduled we had to postpone um, this upcoming year. But I remember one of those trips, there's always just these profound things that, that God does that he just arranges for those kinds of trips. And there's this one moment that I'll never forget. We're at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And this is in Jerusalem, and it's the church where most likely it's commemorating the spot the spot in Jerusalem where Jesus was crucified and then buried and then rose again from the dead. And it's people have been worshiping there for, for centuries. And so it's, it's this beautiful cathedral and we walked in and there's this one place where you walk up these stairs because there's underneath, there's kind of like a mountain because they believe it's very possibly Mount Calvary, Golgotha itself. And you walk up these stairs onto this balcony and there's this very ornate table, almost like an altar to kneel at. And um, underneath this table, there's a hole in the floor marked out where you can touch the stone on the mountain underneath. And it's the spot that is, is thought to be the exact spot of where Jesus was crucified. And it's designed where you have to, if you're a pilgrim there, it's designed that in order to touch it, it's under the table, so you have to get down on your hands and knees in order to touch it. And so there's people from all over the world coming to this spot. And so I, we were there leading a team, and I remember I took a step back and making sure all of our team got a chance to have that moment there at that spot, and they're all kind of walking through. And then I, everyone had left, and, and they were moving on to the next spot in this beautiful cathedral. I'm waiting for the next person, and all of a sudden, I didn't see anyone less from, my, from the team, and, and a man walked in. And um, he's kind of looking around. He's not from our team. And um, he was uh, from Kenya. And so in this very thick Kenyan accent, he asked me in English, he says, is, is this the spot where Jesus was crucified? And there's this incredible moment. It was just him and I. I've clearly never seen this guy before. And I'm standing there with him from another part of the entire world. I know nothing about him except that he and I are here for the same reason. We're here to see the spot that Jesus was crucified. And I saw for a second, it was his first time there, and I put my arm around him, and I said, my brother, this is the spot that our Savior was crucified. And he got down on his knees, and he went in there, and he kissed the spot where Jesus was crucified. He spent a moment praying, and then he walked on, and um, 
I know nothing else about him. I've never seen him again. But I remember I walked through that, that, the rest of the cathedral and I was just thinking how profound that I will spend eternity with that man. And one day I'll be in heaven and I'll be like, wait, weren't you were the guy, you know, I've been here for 100 years. I haven't seen you yet. Weren't you that guy that we were there at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre and that? And, and tell me your story and tell me what Jesus did in your life and tell me about, you know, and, and there is there's this unbelievable, profound thing. We are part of a family. We have been adopted in to God's family. We are sons and daughters of Almighty God. By the work of Jesus, he looks at you and says, you're my child. I love you like a father. And if we're all sons and daughters of God through Jesus Christ, that means we're all brothers and sisters. You're of, of other traditions if Jesus is their Lord and their Savior and they stand firm on the gospel and they understand the work of Jesus that saved them, they are your brother and your sister. They're in the family of God. You're part of a family that spans every nation on the planet. Thousands of years. And will stretch into eternity. Churches of all different traditions here in South Florida were brothers and sisters. He's called us a body. He's called us a family. But he also called us fellow citizens. Did you notice that? We're part of the same people. He's, we've actually been talking about this in our recent series, Kingdom. If you missed it, you can go on our, on our app or on our website and, and see that the, we're talking about the kingdom of God that, that Jesus established and he made us citizens. We actually have a higher allegiance to the citizenship we have of, in heaven. In fact, there's a sense in which we're almost aliens in our nations and cities here because we have this, this citizenship in heaven. And here's how he describes us as a people group. It describes us that we are a holy, royal priesthood. Every member of God's kingdom is described as royalty. We're all heirs. This family are heirs with Christ you're not only brothers and sisters, together we're princes and princesses. We're, they're, they're royal heirs, destined to reign with Jesus. And he says, you're not only heirs, he says, you're priests. You know, there's a reason that in our tradition, the pastors and staff were, were not referred to as priests, were referred to as pastors, because we're We're shepherds. You, have a, you don't need me as a priest. You have Jesus as your great high priest. You don't need me to connect you to God. You have Jesus giving you direct access to God. And then what that means is not only is Jesus the priest that you need connecting you directly to God, but then he's now made you a priest. You are a priest to our city. In other words, we together the people of the, the Christians of our city, the people of God, the, the church act as priests to our city, connecting our city to God. We're a, we're a body, we're a family, and we're a people, citizens. We're royal priests, he says. And the last one, man, this is such a, a powerful verse. The last metaphor he uses, he just layers them on top of each other. He says that we together are a temple. Now you say, well, I thought he said all of us were, our bodies are our temples, and that's in 1 Corinthians 6. But actually, 
Earlier in that other book of 1 Corinthians, three chapters earlier in 1 Corinthians 3, it's talking about divisions and, and fractures in the church. And it, when it, it introduces that metaphor of a temple, it's saying that we together are one temple. And that's the way it initially introduces it. And actually right here, it says that in him... You also, that's you plural. You, you plural, us plural are built together into a dwelling place, a temple, singular. And so the last metaphor he uses is that to all together, all of us that call City Rev our church home, all of us who would say that we have been saved by the blood of Jesus throughout our city, all of us together make up one temple. What does that mean, one temple? We make up the presence of God here in our city. We're like the, the bricks, each one of us, as the presence of God here in our city. Profound metaphors of unity. It's so, so critical for us to understand who we are and what Jesus has accomplished. We're a body, we're a family, we're a people, and together we're a temple. But just pause with me for a second as you're thinking through the, the, how profound the unity is. Can you think with me for a second at what it cost for us to have that kind of unity? Can you think with me what it cost? Because it cost... It's very clear the blood of Jesus was shed. He was killed so that the disunity among us, the hostility among us would be killed. Or another way you could put it would be like this. The death of Jesus put to death our divisions. Together as a church, a City Rev church, together as one local expression of the church of South Florida, the death of Jesus, what this is saying, it killed the hostilities. The death of Jesus put to death our divisions so that we could be one. John 17, he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane before he's arrested and crucified. And you know what he prayed for? You know what he prayed for moments before he's arrested and moments before he is on trial and falsely accused and then beaten and then whipped and then mocked and then carrying a cross before he's nailed to a cross, before he dies and is buried into a tomb, before he rises again from the dead. You know what he prays to his father? He says, may they be one. As we are one, God, the Father. Oneness, our oneness as Christians, our oneness as a, as a broader church is so fundamental as an outflow of the gospel. An outflow of the gospel is he's drawing us together as one people, one body with one Lord and one spirit and, and one gospel. He's calling us and he is making many one. Absolutely critical to who we are and what he's called us to. So what does that mean for each of us? Because, you know, honestly, I believe 
we're at a critical moment in our nation's history. We're at a critical moment in our society where things have never seemed more fractured, more broken, more combative, more angry, more bombastic than right now. And on a backdrop of such fracturing and such division, now is a time for the church to rise up and display the miracle that Jesus does, a miracle called unity, something this world is longing for. So, so what do we do? What are our marching orders? What would we do in order to display that unity? Well, I just want to take those four metaphors for a second because I think um, maybe one of those metaphors might apply to you today. And so I'd ask you to feel that burden to display to a hurting world the miracle of unity that Jesus purchased by his blood for us and have such a burden for that that you're willing to let the scripture transform you into displaying this unity to our hurting world. So I want you to think through these four unities. First is the body. Uh, for some of you, that metaphor is for you. And you might be saying, you know, look, I, I hear you. I know that we're one, but look, I love Jesus. I'm just not into the church thing. Like, I love Jesus. I'm just not into organized religion. I, I love Jesus, but I just got a lot going on in my life, and I, I'm fine. I do my Jesus thing, and, and we're good. But what this says is that we're a body. And so if you are not plugged into a church, if you don't belong to a local church, that means you're like a body part that is detached, dismembered from a local body. And what he's going to go on to say here in Ephesians, two chapters later, we just read from Ephesians 2, but in Ephesians 4, he says the whole body is knit together and nourished and grows to full health. That means if you are detached from a local church, that means the same thing will happen to you spiritually when a dismembered part of a body happens to it physically. You'll shrivel spiritually. You are meant to be nourished as part of the body. And you say, well, look, I, look I'm not super plugged into a church, but I, I, I feel like I'm fine. Well, according to the scripture, you're nowhere near where you could be in your thriving. You are made and wired to be part of a body and nourished. And so if you are detached from a church, or if over this season of quarantine, you've gotten detached, I want to implore you to find a church, come be a part of City Rev. If you can't come in person, stay plugged in online, get involved in a community group, get involved in a small group, get plugged into a local church because that is how you're wired to. Don't take my word for it. That's what the scripture is saying. You're meant, you are a part of the body meant to be nourished by the body. For some of you, that part of the metaphor is for you. Others of you, it's a reminder that you're part of a family. And some of you might say, look, the reason that I'm not plugged into a church or part of a church or I'm resistant to church is because I've been hurt by my spiritual brothers and sisters. And if that's where you're at, I want to just say that that's a real thing. And I am so sorry if you've gotten hurt. What I can tell you is I know that I also have been hurt by my brothers and sisters at times, and I'm sure I have, I have hurt brothers and sisters. 
that you're meant to be part of a family. And we, there is no church that is perfect. In fact, the church is full of imperfect people that are just gathering around the one perfect being, Jesus Christ. And just know you're welcome back in, into the family of God to find healing. For some of you, it's the fact that we're a body. For some, it's the fact that we're, we are a, um, a household. But for some of you, it's a reminder that we are part of a people group. And if we're one people, then what that means is if different people of one nation are fighting, what is that? Well, what does it mean if one group of citizens are fighting each other? That's a civil war. And, and if we're fighting each other, Christian, then what does that mean and what, how does that reflect on our king if his citizens are fighting each other? And so Christian, no matter what comes out of this week, no matter what it is in your life that you're like, I just can't believe there are other Christians that think this way. I just can't believe there's other Christians that vote this way. I just can't believe there are other Christians that operate this way. I can't believe there's other Christians that act this way. I can't believe there's other Christians that post this way. Don't give in to a civil war. Our king has unified us. And, and what unifies us is more profound than the differences among us. We may have distinctions. We may have disagreements. But we cannot allow divisions. We cannot allow divisions between us. We cannot allow infighting. What did Jesus say? He says, the world will know you by your love for each other. Christian, some of you, the way you're posting online, the way you're talking to your brothers and sisters, the way you're handling yourself in such a divided time, does it reflect the kingdom of God, the, the love and the mercy and the grace and the joy and the peace and the patience and the kindness of the kingdom of God? Or does it reflect the culture of our world? We're called to be citizens of heaven and we're called to act like that. Because what unifies us is so much more profound of a reality than what is different about us. But the last thing is that we together are one temple. All of the churches of our region, the Christians of our region are one temple. That means we're the presence of God in our city. Your royal priests and so what that means is your fundamental job, your fundamental calling is to take that message and reconcile of the blood that was shed on the cross and reconcile a hurting, wounded city and reconcile it to God and preach that message of peace that salvation has been offered for free and just takes faith. That's our fundamental mission here. And so I want to just, I want to close with this thought. One day, I want you to think, many years from now, you're standing before God. And let's say you're looking around, you've arrived before God, and you see someone that you know in your life right now, 
Maybe it's a, a neighbor, a friend, a coworker, someone you're friends with online. And this is the moment when everything that is true comes to light. All the questions we've had are answered. And all the truth has come out. And what's right is revealed. And in that moment, that friend turns to you. And in that moment, with all of eternity stretching out before you, I want to ask yourself, what do you think in that moment you're more likely to hear? Are you more likely to hear that friend turn to you and say, hey, thank you for convincing me to vote like you vote. Thank you for convincing me to align my opinions with your opinions. Or in that moment, are you most likely to hear or most likely longing to hear, thank you that you told me that being reconciled to my creator for all of eternity is a free gift. And I responded to that. And in that moment, my eternity was changed and my sins were washed away. Christian, you have one primary fundamental mission. Don't let anything get in the way of that. You're a priest going out throughout the city, reconciling those that you dearly love to their creator. Peace that's offered for free. Let's take that to our city and be the fragrance of Christ to our city, not the fragrance of the world. And watch what God is intending to do when his church comes together undivided. I believe that there are some, and you're watching right now, and you're saying, look, if you're telling me that being reconciled to Almighty God is a free gift, if you're telling me that I can make it to heaven not by me doing good deeds, but by the good work that Jesus already accomplished through his death and resurrection, if you're telling me that is offered for free, and right now my eternity can be transformed, then I want to take that step now. And to my brother or my sister that is feeling faith well up in their hearts, no matter where you're at throughout South Florida, where you're at throughout the country or around the world, I want you to know that you can be adopted into the family of Christ. You can become part of this body. You can become a citizen of heaven. You can be the presence of God in whatever city he's placed you in through the reconciling work that Jesus accomplished through his blood on the cross and his resurrection. Take that step today. If you're ready to do that, then wherever you're seated, wherever you're at, I want you to bow your head and I want you to give your life to Jesus today. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for saving me. I need you. If this is you, I want you to pray this prayer. Jesus, if you're ready to take that step and be reconciled to God, say this prayer. Say, Jesus, Thank you for saving me. I need you. I've sinned, so I'm an enemy of God. But you brought peace and you reconciled me. I believe it. I want to follow after you. I want to be adopted into your family forever. In Jesus' name. Hey, if that was your prayer just then, I want you to know you just got adopted into the family of God. Your eternity was just decided 
heaven is a guarantee. And so I want you to know that is the greatest decision that you could have ever made. Hey, can we just celebrate those who put their faith in Jesus? I believe there are those who watched online. We're celebrating with you the work that Jesus did in your heart. If that was you, what I want you to do is right there uh, on the screen, you'll see cityrev.org faith. We want to put a Bible in your hands. We want you to know more about this journey. We want to send you a Bible no matter where you're at. Click on that link. It's also there in the chat. Click on that spot on the screen and go to cityrev.org. Just take a second. Just let us know where we can send a Bible and follow up with you. We would love to welcome you into the family of God. Thanks for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.